There are moments in our lives when we feel moved as if we were having an, a mountaintop experience. Now, some of those are experiences we cultivate. Go on retreats. I've been on retreats before that in the midst of the retreat, you could not help but feel the sense that God was with you. Uh, and uh, then there are moments when you don't expect. Um, I was there for the birth of both of my children, and there was the palpable sense of God's presence when they were being born. Um, as I look back, there were clergy people in my life and Sunday school teachers that I could point to that when I was with them, different aspects of them spoke to me of the presence of God. I think back to Reggie Potts, now, now dead, and Reggie was my senior pastor. Um, he was there when I was, from about the time I was 10 until about the time I was 14 or 15 at my home church. And Reggie Potts uh, was the one who trained me to be an acolyte, uh, and he, uh, which is someone who lights candles and wears a robe and looks cool and helps serve communion, uh, that kind of thing sometimes. But Reggie was always the epitome of love. When I was with Reggie, um, I, I felt loved. He, uh, he called me the same name, and he was, he's one of the few people outside of my family that is allowed to call me Jamie. Uh, and he always called me Jamie because that was my family's uh, pet name for me. So he called me Jamie, and uh, and. He, he was the one that confirmed me when I became a member of the church. Later, we had a uh, pastor right after Reggie uh, who spoke with fire from the pulpit. Um, uh, Charlie Bartholomew was his name, and he was, it was his second career. He entered ministry later in life, but when he spoke from the pulpit, there was a reality that came across, an authenticity about a connection to God that he had, that he shared, and some of those sermons were real mountaintop experiences. Last week, Linda and I were sitting uh, in Santa Monica listening to James Finley, one of the core faculty in the Living School, talk. And I, I said to Jim, uh, we, we saw him right as he walked out on the last day, and I said, Jim, I don't always understand what you say. <laughs> but I know God's presence when you say it. There is something palpable about being in your presence that connects me and gives me that kind of experience of God in that particular moment. Today is a, is a Sunday. In, in a more traditional church, this would be, we would call it Transfiguration Sunday, and everything would be about transitioning into Lent, which begins officially on Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. Uh, and as we transition, there are four transition Sundays in the year, you don't need to know them, Transfiguration Sundays 1, and we read the story of when Jesus uh, took three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, up onto a mountain with him, and things happened. So, without further ado, I will open to Matthew, because that is uh, the Transfiguration story we're reading this year, and share it with you. I'm looking at Matthew chapter 17 verses uh, 1 through 9. I believe it's also printed in your printed update if you want to follow along there. 
Uh, I'm not absolutely promising. I think I printed it there for you. Um, But here is what it says. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself. Alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about this vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, there are a couple of things, you know, I I don't know how many of you have ever seen a glowing Jesus, you know, every once in a while. I've been in a couple of churches in my life where they had one of those paintings where Jesus was painted in that uh, fluorescent colored paint, and in the right lighting, Jesus really glowed. Uh, glowed, you know, it's like a Transfiguration Sunday waiting to happen whenever you happen to have a black light. Uh, and uh, I, have, uh, I have been in churches where Jesus was made of plastic, and had a light bulb inside of him, and they lighted him up. Uh, And I've been to a couple of Christmas nativities where, you know, Joseph and Mary and Jesus all have lights on the inside of them, and they're all lighted up. They're all lighted up from the inside, and there is a bright light. But most of the time when I encounter people, there is not much light that shines from them. They don't glow in the dark. As holy as some of the people I mentioned to you in my story were, they did not glow in the dark. Uh, at least I, not, not to my recollection of ever seeing them. They didn't glow. So what is this story all about? And it comes very late in the Gospel of, uh, of Matthew. Midway, we're drawing to the close. Jesus has already turned his eyes towards Jerusalem, toward the end. Uh, And he's already asked his disciples, who am I? They've said who they thought he was just in the last chapter. And then uh, he said, no one comes after me unless they take up the cross. And now, six days later, he goes up on the mountain um, What does this say to us? Well, first of all, I think it's not a mistake that they go up on the mountain. And it's not a mistake that he picks his closest three disciples. Maybe they're ready for it. Maybe they're the ones that won't be surprised when Jesus is transfigured. I don't know. But Peter, James, and John are the ones that get to make the trip. You know, they come back down, probably tell the story. And the other disciples are like, dudes, why didn't we get to go? Jesus, why couldn't we have been there? Well, 
Maybe you aren't ready to be there. Maybe you don't know what uh, I might look like when you glow. Or maybe even if you'd been there, you wouldn't have recognized that I was glowing. It was a vision after all. Did it really happen literally this way? I don't know. I wasn't on the mountain with them. But Jesus even calls it a vision. You know, don't tell anyone of this vision until after I've been raised from the dead. Somehow being with Jesus on that mountain, whatever he said, whatever he did, they saw him for who he was. Every once in a while we're surprised. We catch something out of the corner of our eye. We see one another for who they really are. Sometimes it's not the best thing that we want to see when we see some for who they are. But sometimes we really catch a glimpse of kindness, of love, of hope. And it kind of shimmers. It shimmers in a way that maybe doesn't glow in the dark and isn't physically visible like a light bulb inside of a plastic Jesus. But it's visible to us. And upon our recollection, looking back on those moments, we know that was a holy moment. That was a moment when we saw that person. When we knew who they were. Peter, James, and John looked back on that mountaintop experience and they had seen Jesus for who he was. And they had seen not only who he was lighted up Jesus, but they had seen that he was in a long line, a continuation. Moses and Elijah were with him in the vision. Moses representing the law, the most important core piece of Judaism, the Torah, the law. And Elijah, one of the great prophets. Although he doesn't get a, I've always thought he's a great prophet. He gets three chapters in 1 Kings. That's all he gets, three chapters. He doesn't get a whole book named Elijah. Go look in the Bible. You will not find the book of Elijah. You'll find one about the whiner Jonah with five chapters in it, but you don't get but three chapters of Elijah. And yet our Israelite, our uh, Jewish sisters and brothers are all about Elijah as the forerunner of the Messiah coming to lead the way, the prophet. And so you've got Elijah, you've got Moses and Jesus chatting, but they're so caught up in the moment, they don't write down anything they say. Maybe it's not even important that they, uh, what they say, but that they're there. And how do you even recognize Moses and Elijah, by the way? You know, if Jesus showed up at the back door right now and came in and sat down, would we have any idea it was Jesus? We're convinced we would. But how'd they know it was Elijah and Moses? How could they? Maybe they were just two other Middle Eastern men. <laughs> you know, there weren't pictures. People didn't walk around with, oh, look, I've got a picture of my wallet. I pull it out. You know, right now I can pull out my wallet. I got a picture of my son. Got a picture of my daughter. Got a picture of my wife. They didn't walk around with pictures of Elijah and Moses. And by the way, they didn't carry around pictures at all. Photography hadn't been invented 2,000 plus years ago. Guess what? How do they know it was Moses and Elijah? It was the vision. It was a sense that the law and the prophets and Jesus were all together right there. Right there. In front of their eyes. And suddenly they saw Jesus for who he was. It took 17 chapters in the Gospel of Matthew, but finally they've seen him for who he is. Have you seen Jesus for who he is? Do you know who he is? I mean, no. I'm not talking about what have you learned about 
about him. You know, what can you recite to him? Born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, and was buried. What about his life? Born of his Virgin Mary. You know, he's a comma. That's pretty much what happened in his life in that story. You know, do you really know him? Is he a part of your life? Does he glow out from within you? Have you experienced the radical change that he wants to bring into your life? The opportunity to meet him face to face. And guess what? You meet him face to face in the strangest places. Just because you went up on a mountaintop. I still remember a long, long time. I was in college. This is how long ago it was. They had just invented college, you know, uh, and, and uh, my, my, one of my best friends in college, uh, Dave, who is also a United Methodist pastor and serves in the Holy of Holies First United Methodist Church of Green Bay, Wisconsin, where the Green Bay Packers play. So Dave Callis uh, and I were good friends, and we made a road trip because his father was a pastor too in Cleveland, Ohio, and so we made a road trip to Ohio, and uh, Dave stayed, and I had to be back to preach on Sunday morning, uh, and it was an eight-hour drive. And there were two services at Hinton Avenue United Methodist Church where I was serving as the associate pastor when I was in college. And so um, we decided we would cultivate the presence of God so we would have a prayer vigil in the huge sanctuary of Church of the Savior uh, there in Cleveland, Shaker Heights, Ohio. And so he and I went to this huge stone gothic cathedral feeling place it was cool and knelt in the front for like eight hours on Saturday you know and so we we knelt there until midnight at which time I got up from kneeling at midnight walked out to my car got in it this is college you know my brain wasn't fully formed just be aware it doesn't happen until you're 25 so I got in my car and I drove back to Charlottesville, eight hours, uh, got home, changed clothes, and the good news was I wore robes in both of those services so I could cover up what I threw on a suit, tied my tie while driving to church, walked in and walked, walked to the front and preached some sermon. Uh, God, I hope it was about God. I don't know what I said. But I imagined if I cultivated God's presence by kneeling for eight hours in a church building, that I would have a mountaintop experience. You can't force God to show up in ways that you expect God to show up. God just does. But it's learning to be present in the moment. It's not trying to contrive God into existence. Well, you know, if I, if I light exactly three candles, one for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit... And if I stand in the right place in my house, or for me, sit in my holy chair, God is going to show up. God shows up. God shows up. But guess what? God's everywhere already. So maybe I'm just missing it because I keep expecting God to glow in the dark like Jesus did on top of a mountain. And by the way, it wasn't even dark. It was daytime. I expect Jesus to show up and shine and I'm so busy waiting for him to show up and shine in a burning bush or in a voice from the clouds that I miss out on the mountaintop. I miss out on the mountaintop because I'm looking for Jesus in all the wrong places.
because Jesus is in the particular moments. It's in the conversation I have right before worship or right after. It's in a sunset over the Pacific Ocean with my wife. It's God's presence is everywhere all the time. We have to show up, though, and be present enough to recognize it and realize it's not always glow-in-the-dark Jesus. Not the way we're expecting glow-in-the-dark Jesus. The second thing is we really want to hold on to those experiences, those mountaintop experiences. Peter says, Jesus, let's build tents. Let's, you know, why don't, why don't I build a place, a special spot, so that we can hold on to this and never let go? Some, for some people, they have one experience of God in their lives, and they hold on so tight to that experience, and no experience exactly like that one ever happens for them again, so they never experience God happening. Because they're not paying attention. They're waiting for that experience. Jesus doesn't want them to hold on to that. Jesus doesn't want us to hold on to that one mountaintop experience we had. Every once in a while, it's nice to be reminded. I have clergy friends who tell me one of the most important things that you can ever do is you're going to have to put up with enough bad stuff in ministry that when you get a nice note, put it in a file folder somewhere. And then on that day... When somebody has reamed you out in front of the church, which happened to me in my very early days at St. James, cursed out in front of the church by one of the trustees, you know, as concrete was being poured and the concrete workers were watching this happen. It was kind of exciting. Um, you know, on moments like that, you pull out that file and you find the card from somebody who says, you know, those words you said that Sunday really changed my life. <laughs> You know, as opposed to remembering, oh my gosh, there's people that curse you out on the front sidewalk of the church. And there are. Uh, you know, because it's the world. And we all live in places like that. We don't know what another person's going through. So the world is filled with challenges, but we want to hold on to the high places and forget that God shows up more in the ordinary than in the extraordinary. We're waiting for the extraordinary glow-in-the-dark Jesus, and Jesus shows up in the sunset and in the conversation with a friend when somebody listens to us when we need them to. Or in that nice note you get in an email. Or the young woman who, who runs the local gluten-free, you know, gum-free, all-organic uh, bakery that you go to in Santa Monica, who learns your names the first day that you go in, this is the day after they open, and invites you in every time, oh, it's James and Linda, why don't you come in and sit down? What can we get for you today? I don't know, another one of those amazing croissants, I don't know, the chocolate ones, you know, that are iced with some kind of, and they don't use refined sugar either, I don't know what they put in it, but it tasted fantastic. You know, uh, it's those are the God moments, the ordinary, everyday God moments. When someone remembers your name, when you feel like you're a stranger, when someone says hi to you, when you need to be heard. When the sun sets in just that way that you know the sun has never set like this before and never will again because you're watching it and you're changing it by the way you watch it. Because God's watching it with you and through you. 
That's the power of these kinds of stories, but you can't hold on to them. You can't make them the whole measure of your life because some experiences are really ordinary and God's in those too. And some experiences are terrible and God never leaves you even those. God is always with us. So then God shows up in a cloud. It's not enough that Jesus is glowed and Elijah and Moses are showing up on the spot. You know, like the total celebrities of uh, Judaism have shown up now for Peter, James, and John. Now a cloud overshadows them and a voice says, this is my son, the beloved. I'm well pleased with him. Listen to him. Now, we could think we're supposed to overhear this because we're supposed to listen to what Jesus says. And that this is kind of an implied command. Listen to what he says. Do what this book says. But I think I hear in it the echo of what God is trying for us to see. And that is, Jesus isn't the only divine human being in the universe. Every one of us is too. We are made in the image of God and we bear divinity and humanity both within us. We carry them with us wherever we go. And if we can see, if Peter, James, and John can see the divinity of Jesus as well as the humanity, you and I can see the divinity and humanity of each other and in ourselves. Jesus is supposed to show us what we are like. Like, but what we are like. We glow with the light of God from within. We can if we let God flow through us. And I think that those words that God spoke on that mountain in that vision about Jesus are the same ones God could speak about you. This is my daughter. The beloved. With, with that one, I am well pleased. With her, I am well pleased. Listen to her. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. You're not Jesus. I, I'm not saying you are you carry the love of Christ in you. We need to listen to one another. We need to see in one another the glory of God that's reflected uniquely in each one of us. Knowing that God is loving you into that seat. And then we need to live it. As we enter into this season on, beginning on Wednesday with Ash Wednesday and following all the way up to Easter I want to invite you to be a part of something we're going to do at St. James. I didn't bring a copy of them up here in front, but there are copies in the back. We have, uh, we have daily readings, six per week. You may say, James, there are seven days. You may choose a Sabbath day for yourself every week. I left Tuesdays blank, but you can choose any one you want. I want to invite you to read 1 John with us, not the Gospel of John, that's long. That's a lot of chapters, 21. First uh, John, the letter, first letter of John is 105 verses long. 
And we're going to read them in small snippets. Somewhere between one and six verses a day. Six days a week and then take a day off. So I want to invite you to take one of those with you that's also posted on our Facebook page as of this morning. You can see those readings if you want to. I encourage you to read along because starting next Sunday, that's what we're preaching. First John. We're going to be talking about love because love is of God. Beloved, let us love one another because love is of God. That's a line from 1 John. So I want to invite you to do that. I want you to invite you to show up in every moment of your life. Ah, it's harder than it sounds. Wherever you are, be there. And don't be surprised if you discover new and exciting things wherever that is. Because you're there. There are so many things in my life I look back on that I've missed. But I'm not going to regret them anymore because I can't do anything about it. But I can do something about now. So I want to challenge you to show up in your life. And be there. And if you have a transfiguration story when Jesus shows up, I want you to tell me about it. Send me an email. Grab me after church. Grab me before church. Grab me during church. Half the time I'm just sitting around, you know, uh, except for that preachy time, you know, uh, and the community time. Um, the rest of the time I'm just sitting around. Tell me the story of where you saw Jesus, where you experienced it, because it will change your life. So Peter, James, and John showed up, and that's all that it takes sometimes to see Jesus. You can't make it happen, but it will happen of its own because that's who God is, revealing God's self to us all the time.